Welcome to today's public affair on KGNU for April 30th, 2014. Today's panel discussion is about the proposed gross reservoir expansion. I'm Jamie Sudler, your host for today's roundtable, and I'm also the host of H2O Radio. Gross Reservoir is owned and operated by, the Denver, by Denver Water. It began operations in 1955, and it sits completely in Boulder County. The expansion of the reservoir is part of a plan by Denver Water to take additional water, mainly from the Fraser River in Grand County, and transfer it underneath the Continental Divide through the Moffat Tunnel, and then store it in a greatly expanded gross reservoir. And to be a bit more precise, the expansion we are discussing today is formally known as the Moffat Collection System Project. The expansion project, which has yet to be approved by the Army Corps of Engineers, would increase the size of the current dam by raising it about 131 feet. The capacity of the reservoir would be nearly tripled from 41,000 acre feet to about 119,000. Since there could be various consequences of this project, we've assembled panelists, each with a different viewpoint as to the benefits and risks of the proposed expansion. Before I introduce each panelist, I want to put the project in some historical context. Some of our listeners will remember back when Denver Water had plans to build a large reservoir southwest of the city called Two Forks, and the, that project went through a great deal of examination, and ultimately the EPA rejected the Two Forks plan in 1990, and it was never permitted and it was never built. At that time, various environmental groups fighting against Two Forks suggested an alternative to that project, and that alternative was the expansion of Gross Reservoir, the very project we are talking about today. Then in 2002, there was a huge drought, which, from the view of CU history professor Patty Limerick, rattled the confidence of everyone involved in water management Reservoirs were low during that summer, and then the fires came, and Denver, Denver's water sp supply system on the south metro area became vulnerable due to erosion and the accumulation of ash. Denver Water then launched the plans we will be talking about today to expand Gross Reservoir. With me to discuss the project are first, from Denver Water, Dave Little. Dave began working at Denver Water almost 33 years ago in 1981. He is Director of Planning, a position he has held since 2007. Welcome, Dave. Good morning. Also with us is Matt Rice, who is Director of the Colorado River Basin Program for American Rivers. His organization just last month came out with its 10 Most Endangered American Rivers report, which listed the Upper Colorado River as the second most endangered river in the country. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Good morning. We also have with us Melly Whiting. She is an attorney with Trout Unlimited and has been involved for quite some time negotiating with Denver Water about the plans to expand Gross Reservoir and divert additional water from the Fraser. Trout Unlimited was against the planned expansion but then reached an agreement with Denver Water about the health of the river and now is supporting the expansion. Welcome to you, Melly. Good morning. And to round out our panel, we have Chris Garr who is president of the Environmental Group, an organization that has opposed the expansion of Gross Reservoir. The Environmental, Gro Environmental Group, also known as TEG, works to protect the natural lands and resources of the region from environmental degradation. Chris lives in the neighborhood of Gross Reservoir and has made a documentary film advocating against the project. His group has called the expansion a lose-lose boondoggle. 
And I want to inform our listeners that at some point later in the show, we will be opening up uh, the telephone lines to questions. But right now, I want to turn first to Dave Little of Denver Water and ask, Dave, if you could briefly describe for our listeners who don't know about the project, what does the Moffat Collection Project entail, and what is the expansion of Gross Reservoir? Well, I think you described it pretty well. Um, In 2002... During the drought, we realized real quickly that we had some major issues on the north end of our system. We uh, are looking at this expansion for three primary purposes. One is the reliability of our system. In 2002, we came very close to running out of water in the north end of our system, which would be catastrophic for people in the north part of the metro area. The second thing was... uh, the vulnerability of our system as you mentioned we had some catastrophic forest fires that impacted the south end of our our bar uh, collection system that's about where 80 percent of our water supply comes from is through the south system and that was compromised in a serious way during those fires and the floods and the sediment runoffs so we tried to shift into the north end of our system uh, where, which is where gross reservoir is and we didn't have enough water supply to do that so that was the second thing that we realized where we had a real real issue with the north end of our system. And then the third component uh, is that in the future we're going to be needing additional water supplies for our customers. In addition to the aggressive and nationally and even internationally recognized conservation programs we have and the recycling project that we have, which is uh, increasing the efficient use of water, we still need additional water supply for growth in the future. So that's the third component of the project. Now, uh, how much of the gross reservoir project do you think depends upon the assumption of growth in the metro area, if, if, if you can say? Well, we sized the project based upon what the site would, uh, would produce. Uh, the growth in the metropolitan area it will far outstrip the water supply that's going to be provided by uh, gross reservoir. And as I mentioned, there are two other components, the reliability and the vulnerability of the system, that are equal, if not more important to us than providing additional water to, the, to our customers. But that, that assumes that the past is a good indication of the future. You start throwing in the equation of uh, global climate change. And with our conservation program in this project, we could be in a situation that we're just staying e- even with what we have right now for our customers, even though our customer base is growing in, in a phenomenal rate. And just before I turn to uh, Matt Rice with American Rivers, uh, can you explain, can you remember back to the 2002-2003 years, and uh, uh, I quoted Professor Limerick as stating that water providers uh, were really rattled by what ha- occurred in those years. Is, is, that, is, is the uh, impressions that were formed during that time period still a driving force at Denver Water? Yes, and the most recent drought also um, demonstrated that we had some vulnerabilities in the north end of our system. So, yeah, that that was a driving force. But even before the 2002 drought, we projected that we were going to have issues on the north end of our system. Uh, We saw it during the Two Forks process that you mentioned before. The environmental community recognized that as an issue that uh, we could solve with a a gross enlargement. So uh, that is a driving force, but it, it's broader than just that one event. It's, it's a much larger issue that's, that we're being faced with. Great. Thank you very much, Dave Little of Denver Water. And I want to turn now to Matt Rice of American Rivers. Um, and your organization, Matt, recently released, within the last 30 days, I think, uh, your Endangered Rivers report, which identified 
the very basin that the Fraser's in, the Colorado Upper Colorado River Basin, is endangered. And uh, can you address, from that perspective, what do you think of the Gross Reservoir expansion project? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, we, we released our list about two weeks ago, and it was the Upper Colorado River system that was was number two on the list. It wasn't specifically the Fraser or the Upper Colorado, just to be to be clear about that. It was kind of all the major trips in in Colorado, and and this project in the Fraser River certainly kind of wasn't the target of that listing, if if you will. Um, yeah, well, uh, clearly, you know, Colorado. Um, has has an interesting problem fairly unique i think in in the country in that you know 80 to 85 percent of the population lives on the front range and 80 to 85 percent of the precipitation the snow and the rain falls on the west slope and so um they need they need water um right now between and dave can correct me on this if i'm if i'm off a little bit but it's between 400 to 600,000 acre feet of water is diverted from the upper colorado river and their tributaries, which includes the Fraser and um, the Eagle and the Roaring Fork and the Frying Pan and others, um, to the Front Range for for water supply for communities on the Front Range from Fort Collins down to Pueblo. Um, our position is that there's the 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 river doesn't have more to give, and this is independent of Smothet Expansion Project. The river doesn't have more to give. Um, We've taken enough. Um, it uh, a lot of these upper upper Colorado River tributaries are already severely degraded. Um, significant percentages of their native flows are already diverted. Um, in the case of you know the Roaring Fork, it's upwards of sixty percent, and you know I think those numbers are fairly consistent across a lot of these rivers. So um, our position on the Moffat project, to be clear, we're not uh, um, we're not formal party to this project. We have not formally engaged in uh, the study of this project. Um, uh, so we're, we're primarily an observer. We've, we've helped our partners like Trout Unlimited in the past years con- conducting outreach and, and, and other things. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think our position is a little bit, is a little bit more nuanced. Obviously, we're, we're concerned when a project that has been operating for many years that already takes the majority of water, 50, 60 percent of the water native flows out of the river, um, permanently to the front range and there's a proposal to expand that to upwards of 70 or 80 percent that's a concern for us but um, I will say that we are encouraged about the agreement that Trout Unlimited and Grand County and Denver Water were able to come to and um, you know we're going to be cautiously optimistic um, and and hopeful that that all the terms of that agreement are one incorporated formally into uh, the Army Corps record of decision um, and then going forward past that, that, that um, it works, quite frankly. Well, let me take this opportunity to, to, to mention that the Army Corps of Engineers released their final uh, environmental impact statement last week. And there is a comment period at this time open to the public and anybody who wants to make comments to the environmental impact statement. I think the current time period for those comments is through uh, June 25th or somewhere in that neighborhood, but there is a, someone has asked for additional time. Is is that your understanding, Dave? Um, I haven't heard that yet, but I think the date is through June 9th. Okay. For public comment on that. Public comment. It's 45-day public comment period. Okay. And now let me ask uh, Melly Whiting with Trout Unlimited. Uh, um, Melly, your organization did enter an agreement recently about the Moffat expansion 
uh, project uh, involving the Fraser River and various various testing and learning by doing. Can you explain, first of all, what was Trout Unlimited's opposition to the program before the agreement, and why do you think uh, the agreement might work to help the Fraser River? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, as uh, both you and Dave mentioned, um, Trout Unlimited was one of the groups that initially, um, uh, during the Two Forks period, um, advocated for an alternative uh, to that project, and being the Moffitt expansion, um, uh, looked at it as a better alternative. And we've followed through all the way. We have never outright opposed the project. What we have insisted on is, number one, um, improved conservation measures, and number two, uh, and frankly, this has been most of our focus has been on making sure that the uh, health of the streams, the headwater streams, and particularly the Fraser Valley streams, uh, is protected. So that's kind of what we, where we came uh, with. And it's been um, certainly over eight years of, of gathering of information and discussion about uh, not only how to, uh, to uh, protect the rivers from the, the, the gross expansion project, but also how to improve current situa- the current situation. Uh, there is a misunderstanding, I think, uh, quite often on the condition of uh, those rivers. Those rivers are in a state of decline. Denver water currently takes over 50% of the native flows of the Fraser River. And Denver water will continue to take water and increase the diversions as demand increases, whether or not gross reservoir I- is built. So we're seeing a state of decline. And what we have really strived for is to come up with a package that will reverse that trend. And that is going to take a whole lot of on-the-ground effort um, because so much water has been taken out. Matt is correct. You're really, really looking at uh, the edge here. And so that's what we believe we've come up with with the um, mitigation enhancement coordination plan. The, The core of that plan is learning by doing. It is a monitoring an adaptive management program. The streams will be closely, both the Fraser River and the tributaries, as well as the portions of the Colorado River, will be very closely monitored. We're going to be looking at the main problems that we have there, stream temperature, sediment accumulation, uh, and also watching for the presence and diversity of of aquatic insects, which are really good indicators of stream health, um, as well as looking at riparian vegetation. We are already doing some of that monitoring right now. Uh, Denver Water has agreed to deploy uh, uh, certain resources to uh, both improve the conditions right now and respond if we start seeing declines on any of those indicators. And the resources include uh, water, money, and very importantly, operational flexibility. Denver Water has very high controls on uh, virtually all major tributaries of the Fraser Valley. And they have the ability to move uh, and operate the system in a way that is perhaps more beneficial to the stream. And that's part of what they have um, offered to do. So 
All this is going to be overseen by a committee that includes uh, Denver Water, Grand County, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and Trout Unlimited. Uh, and if the committee, right now, we're asking that the agreement be included in the permit. If the committee fails in its job, then Denver Water has to basically go back to the core uh, and, and do something different. So we feel that that package uh, is the best chance uh, for the rivers not only to uh, not decline anymore, but uh, come back. Thank you, Melly. And before I turn to Chris Garr, I want to tell you, if you're just tuning in, that this is a public affair on KGNU, and we have a panel of experts today to talk to us about the planned expansion of Gross Reservoir. So, Chris Garr, uh, president of the Environmental Group, you've been listening, and uh, let, let's hear your take on what the Gross Rev Reservoir expansion uh, is and what uh, the consequences of it could be. Okay, uh, Jamie, I'll try to be really quick because we're already 20 minutes in and we're still in the first question. But uh, the short and short of it is that half of the water that Denver Water is serving to its customers as treated drinking water goes on to lawns, uh, full 50%. And so when we're looking at Gross Reservoir, which is 6% of their system, expanding it to triple its size, uh, you know, if you do sloppy math, you could say it's 18% of their system if they go through with the project you're still uh, well within the confines of what you could consider a landscaping reservoir, meaning that all the water, for all intents and purposes, is just to allow for more unfettered use of water on lawns. That's the primary problem, and that's why um, the, the project is absolutely ridiculous to even consider it uh, before reining in uh, unfettered use of uh, treated drinking water on lawns. Beyond that, uh, I believe uh, it's pretty clear that the project is a financial boondoggle, and I think it's being pursued at this point uh, 11 years since its inception simply because of the momentum behind it and because of all these backdoor negotiations that Denver Water has managed to do uh, with all of the interested parties, including Trout Unlimited and Grand County. To their credit, Trout Unlimited and Grand County have made tremendous efforts uh, and have established an excellent program for restoring uh, streams and rivers in Grand County and Summit County. Um, however, I don't think that uh, getting rid of the water out of the Fraser River in exchange for the money to repair damaged streams and rivers makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think that's pretty easy to see. Uh, beyond that, as far as Denver Water's customers are concerned, dumping $360 million of debt at this project is a surefire way uh, to perpetuate unsustainable growth in the Denver metro area and to commit those uh, water rate payers to paying higher, ta uh, higher uh, water rate fees as they continue to pay off the project over the next 30 years. Uh, David Little used the word catastrophe twice in his description uh, when referring to the consequences of not doing this project. I think that might be a little bit of a dramatization because... Um, when you're looking at half of the water going on to landscape, uh, I, I think that the use of the word catastrophe might not be uh, might be slightly disingenuous, uh, and it might uh, be more of a scare tactic to rile people up and make them think that this is absolutely necessary at all costs, which it clearly is not. Chris, uh, you do live in the area of Gross Reservoir. Is that accurate? That's correct. And um, do you want to talk about uh, the the uh, effects that the project might have in the neighborhood? Sure. So this reservoir is in Boulder County, um, which is a bit of a strange setup because Denver Water doesn't serve water to Boulder County. So they have this storage reservoir uh, for 
geographic reasons uh, that's located inside of Boulder County. So Boulder County retains a permitting right over any potential expansion. That's called the 1041 authority. That's a state-granted authority given to the county to regulate projects inside of its uh, boundaries. Um, Denver Water recognizes this and attempted to negotiate a deal uh, behind closed doors with Boulder County, uh, pressuring them to accept $8.5 million through what's called an intergovernmental agreement that would override the permit. Um, that agreement failed to meet with the approval of the Boulder County Commissioners last January, uh, a year and a half ago. Um, but I believe that it revealed an attempt on Denver Water's part to recognize uh, that there are, in fact, impacts inside of Boulder County to the residents around the reservoir and throughout the rest of the county. Unfortunately, the terms of that agreement, as they were negotiated at that time, um, were totally insufficient to address those concerns. And the last question I want to ask you, Chris, before I open it up to more discussion on some of the issues raised, is um, the video that you've produced that is uh, advocating against this project speaks a lot about uh, metropolitan development and increase of, of uh, homes that uh, would occur in the Arvada area. Do, do you, uh, are you suspecting that the Gross Reservoir uh, expansion project is some some sort of method to get water to that expansion? Well, uh, I know the answer to that, but I, I think it would be better if David Little answered that. And uh, I can say for sure that the purpose of the project as it pertains to uh, acquiring water resources for growth um, is not tied to uh, necessary regulation on those new developments. In other words, if you had new developments but there was a requirement that they didn't use uh, any water for landscaping, that would be a step in the right direction, a step in the sustainable direction for Denver Water to take. Denver Water is not doing that right now. There's some legislators working towards a 15% use, but it would be voluntary, and, and that's not something that uh, Denver Water is pursuing of its own accord, and I think it would be prudent. Um, but I guess I'll pass it back to David Little to answer the question about Arvada specifically. Before, before you get to that um, question, Dave, let me say that you are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver. Dave, uh, what, what's your response to Chris? And, and can you address the issue of this water is simply for, uh, this additional water in Gross Reservoir is simply for the expansion of Arvada? Well, I don't. I don't. I didn't hear Chris say that it was exclusively for the expansion of Arvada. Uh, Arvada has three thousand acre feet, uh, a right for three thousand acre feet of the total eighteen thousand acre feet that will be developed by the project. So there is some water available for Arvada. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out is the Candelas development that is occurring right now out there. Um, Arvada obviously has enough water for that development, which seems to be the hot button development at the moment because the project that uh, the the gross reservoir project won't be online for many many years in the future providing water supply so it's a much more complex issue than just there's a some water being developed and there's some growth occurring therefore there, you can connect them uh, i want to turn a little bit to what chris said related to my use of the word catastrophic and that most of the water is used for uh, landscape when we ran into those issues in the north end of the system, we had our customers on stage two drought restrictions, which basically restrict their use of water on lawns. Uh, specifically, we were, what does it restrict, David? Specific, what is the specific restriction for stage two? It restricts the amount of water, it, the time and, and uh, the days that they can use water. Uh, how many days? And they if cut I'm their on, water use. If I'm on stage two drought, how many days a week can I water my lawn? I'm just two. trying to figure out your policy here. 
Two. Two, okay. As opposed to uh, whatever they want to do, basically. Okay. So the issue was that we already had our customers really restricted back on water use, and what we were worried about is drinking water, in-house drinking water, running out of water up in the north end. That's why I use the word catastrophic. The issue is on the north end, if we ran out of water in the Moffitt treatment plant, then that treatment plant goes to zero pressure. And then what happens is we have to go into a boil order because uh, there's no pressure keeping the contaminants out of our, out of our system. So it was a very uh, scary situation for us. Now, could you explain that, that last bit a little bit, because that did sound scary, about having contaminants back pressure back into the system. What uh, other solutions have been used around the country uh, where there wasn't the opportunity to expand the reservoir behind a treatment facility? I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, you said that well, there's I a, think he's asking that, excuse me, Chris, I think he's asking that there may be other methods uh, than, than having to expand gross to deal with backage uh, into a system and having to boil as a, as a method to um, purify the water. There, there's lots of ways that we could attack this issue uh, of the lack of water supply in the north end of our system. We could uh, build a pipeline all the way from Strangia Springs Reservoir down to that area. The problem with that is um, then we'd be relying even more on that pinch point where 80% of our water comes from. So when we have Hayman-type fires, then we have more water supply at risk. We're presently looking in our long-range planning 50 years out where we'd go downstream of the Denver metropolitan area and build pumps and pipes and reverse osmosis plants and bring water back from the lower um, South Platte to fill some of these voids. All those, thing, all those uh, efforts would take a considerable amount of energy and have a large energy footprint. So there are other ways of dealing with this. The Corps of Engineers, uh, most people don't realize it, but the Corps of Engineers w were the ones that defined which projects would be looked at in the EIS. We identified what the issues were that we were trying to solve. The Corps of Engineers looked at 250 different options to solve those issues, and they came up with five that they took through the environmental impact statement. Our, our proposed, our recommended option for the Corps to approve is the gross reservoir enlargement. And now, but Denver Dave, Water did not... Just a Denver second now, because not every single one of those, every single one of the uh, uh, options that passed through the selection process included expansion of gross reservoir. They were just different levels of expansion. Isn't that correct? No, that's not true. Um, there were, of the 250, there were lots of them that did not include gross reservoir. Correct. But of the five that made it of to the, the final five, process... All of them had a component of gross reservoir. Right. Okay, so I, I want to get back to the issue of the... Um, the Fraser River and and seeing if uh, we can uh, if, if the plans by Trout Unlimited and Denver Water might lead to preservation of that river and um, Melly Whiting did a good job of outlining and uh, briefly those plans but I want to ask Matt Rice if you could weigh in on the subject of that agreement between Trout Unlimited and Denver Water do you think that has a potential to save the Fraser? Well I think uh, um, you know, I wouldn't use the word save I don't think I mean this is like we've said this is a this is a highly degraded system for 70 years significant amounts of native flows have been taken out of the Fraser system um but what it does is it has it has potentially has the ability to mitigate some of those impacts um which 
you know, is going to be part of the solution when we talk about all these rivers that are diverted. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it, has, it has the potential um, if everything goes well. Um, like I said, we're cautiously optimistic about that to, to improve conditions on the Fraser. Um, but like I said, this is, this is addressing this project. This package is addressing this project. There's been 70 years of diversion from the Fraser River, which has left it, um, left it uh, significantly degraded. Um, we're also talking kind of mainly about main stem Fraser River and the Colorado. I know that the, the mitigation plan addresses four, three or four or five key tributaries, Vasquez Creek and St. Louis Creek and Ranch Creek as well. But um, there are 31 diversion structures on 31 different tributaries on Denver's as part of the project. And so we remain concerned that some of the impacts to those tributaries um, haven't been addressed. We, we remain concerned that uh, um, the, the Forest Service who manages the land for the people of the United States where these, where these tributaries are located, um, that, that potentially there are some of their jurisdictional authorities have been lost in this, pro in this, in this project. But these are, some, these are things that, that potentially could be addressed um, in another parallel permitting process that's going to be, be, uh, be kicking off very soon, which has to do with the expansion of Gross Reservoir. That's a, a reservoir that's um, under the jurisdictional authority of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which regulates hydropower in the United States. And in order for Denver Water to expand their reservoir, um, they have to get a license amendment for their existing hydropower license. And um, so, that, that, you know, there's, there's potential that some of those issues can, can be resolved in that kind of parallel proceeding. And that's uh, Matt Rice of American Rivers. And before him, we were listening to, to Dave Little of the Denver Water I always say the Denver Water Department, which changed its name quite a while ago to just Denver Water. Uh, and also we have Melly Whiting with us from Trout Unlimited and Chris Gar from the Environmental Group. Melly, I want to ask you, what can you tell us exactly or with some specificity, what is Denver Water going to measure and why are they going to measure it in this learning by doing project on the Fraser? Um, sure, and um, it's Denver Water uh, will be uh, uh, a part of a team that is going to be doing the measuring. Uh, as I mentioned, the learning by doing is overseen by a committee uh, that it has uh, 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 members that include uh, folks like the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, who have a huge stake there. Uh, and uh, Trout Unlimited sits on that committee as well. So it's going to be uh, 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 Denver Water is not going to be the only one making decisions. It's going to be a, a uh, consensus type of uh, effort. Um, the things that we are going to be monitoring for are, again, things that are um, that we know are already a problem, and those are stream temperature, sediment, um, uh, and then we're also going to be measuring uh, indicators of aquatic life health. So uh, we're looking at aquatic insects. Um, we have a situation below Windy Gap Reservoir uh, within the, the watershed that uh, where we have lost a lot of species of, of, of aquatic insects, and that's a sure <laughs> indicator that, that the system is, is, is in decline. We want to make sure that doesn't happen in the Fraser River. So we're going to be looking at that very closely. Uh, and we're going to be looking at riparian vegetation. Those are the key things that we're monitoring. Uh, but you got to understand that we have a plan, uh, but the, the process is going to be hopefully 
pre-flexible. Uh, and if we detect that there is a different kind of problem, we're probably going to monitor for that. And if you do monitor for that and you see a decline, what happens? If, if that happens, then again, there are resources on the table. Denver Water has provided uh, water uh, from their system uh, and money. And, and what I mentioned before is operational flexibility, ways to operate that system uh, in a way that, that is uh, more beneficial to the streams. For example, if you have one tributary, and by the way, tributaries are part of learning by doing, whether or not they're identified in the, in the uh, mitigation enhancement plan, we're looking at um, you know, the whole system. Uh, but for example, if you have a tributary that um, uh, you know, has not had a really good flush, meaning it hasn't had a very nice flow of water for a few years and you're starting to see a lot of sediment buildup, then Denver water can potentially ease, off, is, ease up on that particular tributary, not take water from there or reduce the amount of water they're taking, takes more from elsewhere and uh, give that, uh, that stream a, an opportunity to recover. So that's what we mean by operational flexibility. Hmm. Chris Carr of uh, the Environmental Group, what's your view? If you, uh, uh, what's your view of your organization about the uh, agreement between Trout Unlimited, Grand County, and Denver Water? Sure, that's the reference to the latest agreement, the Mitigation and Enhancement Coordination Plan. Also, that's built off of the Colorado River Cooperative Agreement, which happened several years. Uh, a bit earlier. Um, but both of these agreements, I think it's important to note, require that the parties uh, doing business with Denver Water within them are legally bound, they're legally binding themselves to not oppose the project before the project has been defined. So that's a really important note, I think. Denver Water made them sign that they would not oppose a project that had no permits and for all intents and purposes wasn't even described in detail yet because this is before the release of the final environmental impact statement. Now, why would you do? Why would you be so worried uh, that your partners are going to turn on you? Uh, that you would make them uh, sign away their right uh, to do so? If it's a good plan, a good project that actually benefits everyone, then why force all of your partners to sign away their right to oppose? I think that's a very interesting question. I'm, I'm, if I may, I just just for sure. clarification purposes, we did not sign anything saying that we wouldn't oppose it. In the in the so, MCP. Mm -mm. Right. So Trout Unlimited could still, if it chose to, uh, oppose the environmental impact statement or the project in some other way? From a legal standpoint, yes, we could. Okay. Good so you know. haven't tied your hands legally. Okay. Uh, now, if we look over at Grand County, where a lot of these enhancements and mitigations are supposed to take place, Grand County has already spent $6 million of taxpayer money. Uh, to get this far, to figure out what needed to be done to go through these negotiations. So they're in a real bind. They have damaged ecosystems that desperately need repair, and they're down six million bucks. Um, that's, that's a problem, and Grand County needs help, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, we need to step up and do something. Um, but I think trading the last of the Fraser River uh, to Denver Water in exchange for promises of money to attempt to address those problems through a sort of fuzzy learning-by-doing kind of definition uh, might not be the best deal in the world. And I, and I don't think that I'm alone here um, because both James Newbury, the county commissioner in Grand County, and uh, the uh, president of the Trout Unlimited uh, Colorado Headwaters um, Kurt Clanky last week at Hot Sulphur Springs referred to the deal with uh, Denver Water as it's playing out as, quote, a dance with the devil. And as everybody knows, if you dance with the devil, you get burned. 
So I think there's a certain amount of uh, hesitance on everybody's part that's doing uh, business with Denver Water as to uh, how this is going to play out. Okay. Well, we are going to open it up to callers at this time. And uh, if you want to call in, ask your question to our panel, including Dave Little of Denver Water, Matt Rice of American Rivers, Chris Garr of the Environmental Group, and Melly Whiting of Trout Unlimited, you may call 303-442-4242. But we actually do have a caller on hold right now. Robert in Boulder County, are you there? Yes, good morning. Thank you. Can you hear me? Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I have uh, three quick points for your guest. Uh, the first is, in order to uh, to really know the impact to nature, it would require much more extensive studies than currently planned on on the sections of the of the affected rivers for all the insect life, all the aquatic life, all the vegetative life, not just samplings in in very sparse ways. So that's the first thing. Secondly. The need for the project um, is is must also be is based on growth in the Denver metro area, which is out of control, especially in Arvada. Last time I looked, they had nearly an 80 percent um, expected growth rate. So scaling back the uh, the the growth in Denver and metro area would reduce the need for the for the project, and I don't think that has been adequately looked at. And we certainly don't have the figures on what it would take to do that. And lastly, the cost-benefit, the economics of the, of, of the thing, again, relating to growth. Um, growth gives uh, the greatest benefit to, to developers and the greatest cost to the community. And this is a very unfair uh, equation that, again, has not, has not been um, studied, has not been revealed, I think the public has a right to know what that cost-benefit analysis is. Well, let me ask uh, Dave Little of Denver Water, he's the Director of Planning, to respond to Robert's questions. There's three there. Uh, first of all, he asked about, uh, has, it, has the impact to nature of this proposed project been studied enough? Well, you'll get different opinions from different people. Uh, we've been studying... Uh, the impacts to the environment now for about 10 years of this project spent close to 15 million dollars um, with the Corps of Engineers. The Corps of Engineers hires us a, a, a whole group of scientists to do these studies and they're independent of Denver Water so we don't have any say in the analysis or or how extensive it's going to be. We just pay the bills. So there's been a considerable amount of study that's occurred but um, that doesn't mean that there's not impacts out there. There are impacts associated with this project and I take a little bit of exception to Chris Gar's uh, demonizing of uh, the, the Grand County entities over there and the people that entered in negotiations I with Denver didn't Water. I certainly did demonize those entities. They demonized you, the, to be clear. The, 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 if, if it's unfortunate that uh, Lurleen Curran, uh, the county manager there, and the county commissioners couldn't be part of this agreement because they are 100% behind it supportive of it and they think that it was a wonderful agreement between Denver and Graham County and all the landowners over there that we entered into agreement with. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see hear Chris's perspective since frankly he wasn't even involved in the discussion. So it would be, uh, it would be good to have, have a little bit of follow-up of the people that were actually involved and the ones that would actually be impacted in Graham County 
to see their perspective because it's it's a little bit different than the way Chris portrayed it. I think maybe you misunderstood what I was saying, Dave. Uh, the Grand County is very happy with the way the deals have planned out, given that they have to accept it. They know that the only place to go for money right now is Denver Waters Pockets. Given that, they call it a dance with the devil. But I believe there are other places to look for the money to do the work that needs to be done in Grand County. I believe that Grand County is in a terrible bind and that we need to step up as a society to help them as a state, not as a water utility specifically taking from them and trading a promise of money to help them execute work that desperately needs to be done. I think that's taking advantage of them. What about well, you'll get a, that you'll get a different You'll get a different opinion from the Grand County people when you talk to them. So, uh, Chris, you ought to stop over and talk with them. Well, let me ask, uh, Robert did bring up the question of growth and, and that uh, uh, th there's just uncontrolled growth from his point of view in the metro area, and this is the project's going to support that. Well, I'm, I'm as uh, concerned about growth in the metropolitan area as anyone is, and in fact, all these issues that we're dealing with are related to the growth in population in the metro area, and frankly, in the, in the state of Colorado and in the United States. I don't think anyone has come up with a, a workable solution for how, um, how you stop growth. So the idea is how do we manage growth? And right now, Denver Water is working with uh, the, the people that are actually responsible for managing growth, which is Denver Water has no regulatory authority to do that. And we're trying to start, to, to start the dialogue on, on growth and how, it, how to do it smart. For example, we are supporting density increases in our, into our service area because we think that's the smartest growth, growth um, approach. Uh, assuming growth is going to continue, the urban sprawl that's happening up into the foothills of, of Boulder County and uh, Douglas County and Jefferson County is extremely destructive to the wildlife up there. So we ought to be concentrating on increasing density in Denver's service area, which, which is something that we are supporting. So uh, we're trying to do more. Um, can we do more than we are, are doing? Of course we can. But uh, at least we're starting. So we do have a number of callers waiting to talk to our panel. So I want to uh, throw it now to Katie in Coal Creek Canyon. Are you there? Yes, I am. I have, um, I have a couple of comments. Um, but one of my first questions is, if we have uh, such a water shortage, um, the other thing that people are talking about is fracking, and of course there's a lot of water use for fracking. And so um, I live up in Cold Creek Canyon near Gross Dam. I have somewhat of an emotional feeling about it, not wanting them to do the project. But I also keep wondering if there's a hidden agenda to um, increase the amount of water for um, industrial purposes. Um, the, I see that the Candelas project at the mouth of the canyon has gone forward and people have an his, historical amnesia on the contamination from Rocky Flats. Um, and I think the other thing is the truck pollution from the trucks going up and down the canyon, as well as the cutting and burning of the trees in order to raise the levels of gross dam, all of those concern me. So those are my comments, but I'd like somebody to talk about the issue of water for fracking as well. Thank you, Katie. I want to ask Matt Rice uh, 
of uh, American rivers. From your perspective, in an environmental organization, do you think that the Gross Reservoir Project is some sort of stocking horse for supplying water to frackers? Um, this is this is honestly not my background, but I I, my, I, I assume no. Um, I think for a variety of different reasons, because of everything that Dave said, this is this is looking for certainty um, in their in their water supply. Uh, also, I think that. Um, frackers certainly can find cheaper water um, in other parts of the state, so um, that's just my that's just my sense. I, I, I don't believe that there's a hidden oil and gas agenda behind this water. Uh, Dave Little of Denver Water, what's your response to the fracking question? Well, there is no hidden agenda. <clears throat> um, we, in fact, where the fracking is occurring, we we cannot uh, sell our water, so that's uh, that's pretty categorical because of our water rights. Okay, so I want to open it up to the next caller, and that is uh, Lisa in Boulder. Are you there? That's because of our water rights. Okay, so I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, apparently, uh, let me chime in real quick. Yes, on that. I'm here. Oh, sorry. Okay, Lisa, Hi, um, is this? I understand the need for. Are you there? I'm yeah, can here. you turn down your radio? Oh, yes, I'll turn it down just a second. Hi. Hi. Oh, sorry. You just couldn't hear me over my radio. Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, I, someone else is going now, aren't they? No. Is this Lisa in Boulder? You're yeah. on the air. Oh, I'm on the air. Okay. Hi. i am um, been looking at the data in the, in the valley, and I understand the need for water uh, in both the west and the east slopes. And I think there's a... The problem I am concerned about is that the impacts of the Fraser River are understated. And uh, I think the depletion in the river flows right now are higher than 50 to 60 percent. If you look at the irrigation season, they could be upwards of 80 percent if you use the medians to do the evaluation. At um, Hot Sulphur Springs, this depletion with both the Adam B. Alvin Tunnel and the uh, Moffat Tunnel is up to 90% depletion of the rivers. And uh, my second comment is that when you're taking water out of the Moffat, out of the Fraser and the Williams Fork Valleys, you have a current and a full use and a proposed scenario in your modeling. And under the current, there's 7,200 more acre feet coming out just under the current use. On top of that, there's about 2,000 more coming out to full use, and then the 13,000 coming out as part of the project. And so instead of just 13,000 acre-feet being taken, there's more like 22,000 additional acre-feet of water per year being taken out of those two basins. And I don't think the impact for that water has really been discussed. I've also done a firm yield evaluation for the amount coming out between the full use and proposed, and you're you're not going to get 18,000 acre feet per year of firm yield at a frequency uh, greater. Uh, you'll probably get it about 55% of the time. And to me, that makes the project really not feasible because I don't think you're going to get the water that you think you're going to be getting. So I guess the place where I think you have more water is the Williams Fork 
Um, and I think if you have a big reservoir on the eastern side that's not really being fully utilized, that the next step is to expand your diversions in the Williams Fork. And I know you have to balance out um, filling the Williams Fork Reservoir and the Gross Reservoir, but um, at some point I think the only solution for more water is to go further into the Williams Fork Valley. And I guess my question is for Dave, um, what are your plans for fully utilizing the expanded gross reservoir? Because at this point, I don't think there's enough water in the basin to, to do what you want to do. Thank you. Uh, Dave, a little of Denver Water, what's your response to Lisa's question? Well, um, obviously she's done some analysis. <clears throat> Excuse me. She's done some analysis of the, of the hydrology. Um, we disagree with her conclusions. We think there's enough water in the in the Fraser Basin and the Williams Fork Basin to support this project. But uh, to her other question about expanding into the Williams Fork Basin even further, uh, we have an agreement through the Colorado Cooperative Agreement with Grand County and the River District that we will not expand our system on the West Slope in any way unless Grand County and the Colorado River District agree. So it would have to be a cooperative project. So it's not something that Denver would do unilaterally. Uh, there, there is a possibility in the future that there may be a joint project that would be proposed, but right now that's not on the, on the horizon. But we have analyzed the hydrology of the system over there in all different ways, including through glo global climate change scenarios, because we follow numerous global climate change scenarios for our area, and we think the project is supported by the hydrology. Okay, well, let's take a, a, another caller. <clears throat> Uh, Peter from Pinewood Springs, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, there's a topic we haven't talked about yet in the panel, and that is the use of uh, maybe six feet of that water to, for South Boulder Creek for in-stream flow. It doesn't make sense to me to partially dry up a river on the western slope to put water in South Boulder Creek to create in-stream flow when in-stream flow or native flow is supposedly reflecting a natural system. So could the panel comment on that? Well, uh, let me, you, you, the caller referred to six feet, and I think what you're talking about, caller, is the, the level of the dam is going to be increased was from 125 feet to 131, which will store more water. And Dave, could you address his question about will that water be used for South Boulder Creek? Yeah, you're talking about the environmental pool that we negotiated with the city of Boulder and Lafayette. Um, as part of that negotiation, we agreed that no water from the West Slope would be used to fill that environmental pool. The water that will be used for that are existing water rights that the city of Boulder and Lafayette have, and it's a real creative solution that we, we came up with. They will transfer those water rights up into this new pool at Gross Reservoir and store them there, and then as they need the water for their their uh, municipal use, we will release them in a pattern that will support a higher quality stream fishery in South Boulder Creek. So the salient points is uh, the, the storage will be in Gross Reservoir. No water will be coming from the West Slope to fill that storage. And existing water rights owned by Boulder, uh, the city of Boulder, and Lafayette will be used to fill the storage to provide the envir envir environmental benefit. Okay. Um, so... I think we're close to beginning to wrap up. Um, Chris Gard, do you have any comments you want to make before uh, we close? 
Sure. Uh, the whole project is predicated right now on this environmental impact statement, which uh, the draft of which in 2010 uh, elicited 3,000 negative comments from municipalities, citizens, groups like Trident Unlimited and ours. And uh, at that point, um, Denver Water sought to make uh, agreements outside of the EIS with all of the parties that were potentially opposed with the project and for most of them signed agreements that they would not oppose the project if they uh, agreed to take a certain amount of money for uh, repair work and restoration work. Um, now, that's fine, right? This is like all doing things outside of the norm, and they call it the new way of doing business. But at the core of it, you still have this uh, science of this environmental impact statement, with the final of which came out last week, as you mentioned, is 11,091 pages uh, and is horrifically flawed. And I think that Denver Water is hoping that they can make sure that no one opposes uh, the actual science of the project um, by making these backdoor agreements. But the truth is that the project at its core doesn't have the scientific basis it would need to go through. Uh, of course, if no one opposes it, it goes through anyway. So uh, someone has to do that, and it's the right thing to do, and, and that's what we're all about. Uh, just a quick note as well about fracking. Uh, I think that since David Little is so confident that none of this water is intended for fracking, Denver Water should have no problem signing a legally binding agreement that prohibits them from ever selling or using water for fracking, period, end of story, since it's not part of their business plan after all, right? Uh, we have a 45-day comment period for this final environmental impact statement right now. We've submitted for an extension, and we would certainly appreciate anybody else helping us to submit for an extension at our website, tegcolorado.org. Thank you, Chris. And uh, we have just a very few more moments. Let me ask, uh, uh, there's a caller in Grand County, Jeff. What's your question, Jeff? We can handle it very fast if you can. Hello. Um, my question is, uh, right now we know that the uh, water in the Fraser Valley is uh, probably more like 80% depleted, and uh, Denver wants to take 20 to 30% more. We now have 20 or more streams that are completely dewatered, absolutely dead, dry. My question is, how does the, the mitigation plan help those reaches that are now completely dewatered? Thank you. Uh, Dave, can you answer that? Yeah, we have, uh, as part of the program, we have put water on the table that's been historically diverted out of the basin since the 1920s, and that water will be part of the learning by doing process that will be applied to those different streams based upon the highest value that we can get for it. We also have agreed not to reduce the bypass flows that we have a legal right to, to reduce when we're uh, in drought conditions. And all those add up to a significant amount of water. Um, and there's also water in Williams Fork Reservoir for in-stream flow purposes. Okay. So I want to thank everybody for their participation today. And um, uh, Millie Whiting of Trout Unlimited, what's your uh, website? Uh, our website is www.tu, as in troutunlimited.org. Great. Thank you, Melly. And Chris Gar, you've given us your website. Thank you very much for participating in our roundtable today. Matt Rice, what's your website address? We're at www.org. Oh, Great. And thank Please you. Please check us out. Thank you, Matt. And uh, Dave Little of Denver Water, the, your organization is denverwater.org? Correct. Okay. And uh, thank you all very much for participating. This has been a round uh, table discussion of the proposed gross reservoir expansion. And um, 
This is Jamie Sudler for KGNU and H2O Radio. Thanks. Yeah. 